The podcast of Plastic is an initiative by the Break Free from Plastic movement. Hashtag Break Free from Plastic is composed of more than 13,000 organizations and individuals who envision a future free from plastic pollution. BFFP promotes common values of environmental protection and social justice. We acknowledge that to bring systemic change, we need to tackle plastic pollution across the whole plastics value chain. From the extraction of fossil fuels that serve as the feedstock of plastic, all the way to the disposal of plastic waste. Welcome to the Podcast of Plastic, our own little space where we get to talk to people who have been fighting for our planet. We get to hear from them what corporations don't want us to hear. We say that in order to save the environment, we need a serious overhaul. And inch by inch, yes, we can work on that. But this difference cannot be made possible without systemic change and big and bold action from global corporations. I'm your host, Antoinette Toss, and to better know and be equipped for this battle, I will be the voice asking the questions you never knew you needed to ask. Here we explore the truths and myths of plastic pollution, and more importantly, how we can all be a part of the solution. Previous episodes are a mishmash of grim truths and glimmers of hope. And frankly, I think we're staying in that lane. This podcast is inspired by the Emmy-awarded documentary, The Story of Plastic. If you have not seen The Story of Plastic, I really recommend giving it a chance. We need to wake up and shape up for this Earth because we only have one home planet. For more information on the story of plastic and Break Free From Plastic, go to www.breakfreefromplastic.org. To begin today's podcast, let me take you back to 2018 when the Chinese government decided to shut its borders to foreign plastic imports. It was chaotic. The global plastic recycling industry was shook. In case you're just warming up, here's a quick recap. Some countries have a system in place where they send their trash to other countries. Yes, you heard me right. North America and European countries have been doing this for a long time now, until China decided to say no, not anymore. As an effect, the rich countries who previously had agreements in place with China now began diverting their plastic waste to lower-income countries. That's us. Southeast Asia. If you're asking yourself questions like, why are those countries not managing their own waste? Or why is trash being transported across borders? You're telling me that garbage is really doing international travel? Well, short answer, yes. Garbage is traveling across the globe and it's not the kind of vacation you're thinking of or want. If you're dumbfounded at the moment, it's okay. If this is somehow the first time you're hearing about this, well, we shall be diving in, starting with an explanation of what this is all about. We spoke to Yuyun Ismawati Riega, co-founder of Nexus 3 Foundation in Bali, Indonesia. 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Yu Yu, and we are so grateful for having you with us. Now, for those that may not be aware what the waste trade is, could you give us a brief overview of what this is and why it has become such a huge problem? I think public in general also should be aware about this because in our global economy now, we trade everything, right? Because when developing countries exporting their products to developed countries, for instance, from China or from Indonesia and the Philippines to the US, the ship will be back to our countries with something else because they don't want to go back home empty. But because the products or stuff that exported or need to be transferred from developed countries to developing countries are not much because it's more expensive there. So developed countries exported or shipped in that in that shipments their waste because that's the only stuff that they can send to us. It honestly seems this has become a norm. But is there something being done about it? It became a global issue. This this new event has been discussed at the international forum. The forum for that is the Basel Convention. That's the convention to talk about, they call it transboundary movement. So the movement of goods from one country to another country, but hazardous waste and waste. So in 2019, um, the parties, they call it parties, uh, countries that have already ratified the Basel Convention, agreed that for plastic waste, um, it has to be global. Uh, there has to be a global agreement how we are going to do this, because you, as you said, it's not nice to send it to your neighbor, you know, your waste. You can't just go to your neighbor and then say, hey, I'm going to dump it on your backyard, you know. So globally, all the parties agreed, 180 countries agreed that uh, for plastic waste, we have to have an agreement. And that's why on the 1st of uh, January 2021, that new agreement, they call it Basel Amendment for Plastic Waste, uh, entered into force. It means um, we start implementing the new rules. And for the new rules, every country have to also uh, adjust it and revise their regulations because they have to follow the new rules. And in the new rules, actually, it's it's very benefiting developing countries because now developed countries cannot send nasty mixed waste to developing countries like us, like Indonesia and Southeast Asia countries. Um, they have to inform us. So they have to notify us in the front um, before they ship the, the waste that, hey, potentially one or two containers will be uh, containing this, 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 and that, that you might not be interested in. So will you still willing to accept? And that is the opportunity for Southeast Asian countries to say yes or no. My, this is, it's quite heartbreaking to think because every time we talk about whatever it may be, plastic pollution, waste, whatever it may be, we do all have a personal responsibility um, to take care of that. And it's not, I feel like it's not fair to put it on someone else, most especially other nations, to deal with the waste of others. Where does Indonesia stand with regards to waste imports today? We also advised the Indonesian government to take the same measures, but the Indonesian government decided to have only 2% of contaminant 
uh, because the industry said, uh, it's okay, you know, 2% is okay. But when we see it in the field, 2% is still big. It has to be zero because it's difficult to check when the containers arrived at ports. There will be 10, 40 containers. And how are you going to check them one by one? I think Yuyun made a solid point. If countries decide to accept and give a certain limit of hazardous waste, how will they know and how will they count to make sure? This waste trade is becoming more and more complicated. I think there's two ways to think about the international waste trade in terms of what it is, why it exists. That's Adam Lieben, Assistant Professor of Anthropology at DePauw University, joining us from Indiana in the United States. Hi, Adam. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I feel like this is a topic that many people are not even aware that is going on, not just in the Asia-Pacific region, but across the world. Uh, I feel that a lot of people don't realize how it actually impacts them, their culture, their nation, their community. Um, so in a nutshell, would you be able to tell us uh, what the waste trade really is and what it means and the implications of it? Many wastes are hazardous. And so we can think of that as, as a kind of negative value. And hazardous waste has to be processed or kept somewhere. So the negative value motivates industries and countries to pay to have someone else take it off their hands. You know, in reality, the processing of waste is always an industrial process. So it's always going to be energy intensive. There's always going to be some kind of pollution. And even if you're using the right kinds of technologies to capture um, some or most of that pollution, you know, once you capture pollution, often it gets turned into solid waste or it gets turned into some other form. And so it still has to be contained and, and put somewhere. Um, so, you know, any of, of these materials that I've listed, they all have some kind of impact. But when you think of it that way, it also probably is connected to that, that that particular location might not even have a way to process it properly at all, not just necessarily to receive it or have regulations to allow it to enter the country. This boils down to human lives affecting communities, affecting people that are essentially doing the work for us, even though they're not supposed to and risking their lives as well. There is um, that article that you wrote in that report as well. And you also have a lot to say about the amendment to the Basel Convention about plastic pollution. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and how this uh, really aims uh, to help grassroots efforts shift uh, how they understand plastic waste and pollution and, of course, uh, creating a better pathway forward? One of the controversial parts is this question of what wastes are considered hazardous waste because it only covers hazardous waste. So plastic waste was not considered hazardous waste and was thus not covered by the Basel Convention until just recently in, in May 2019, um, when this amendment was added and approved by most of the world's countries, but not the United States. So, you know, this is really significant in terms, not just in terms of international law, but also because it shows that industries' unrelenting efforts to define plastic waste as this recyclable material that is not hazardous as long as it is recycled, that effort is increasingly being exposed for the, for the lie, for the propaganda that it is. You know, because for decades, so much post-consumer plastic recycling was being exported from rich countries 
out of sight, out of mind to poorer countries. And that system played such a huge role in maintaining the appearance that putting plastic waste into a recycling bin meant that plastic would simply be magically recycled into a new thing. When in reality, plastic waste recycling was, you know, destroying entire groundwater systems in in China and elsewhere. I also want to ask you about something that you mentioned, I think, before, and it's the concept of waste colonization. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of ways to think about, I would say, maybe waste colonialism in terms of you can think about how the waste trade in many ways mimics the kind of old colonial lines of power in terms of the direction of the flow of waste, the way that colonialism was was all about extracting wealth and exploiting people's labor. And this is kind of, I mean, it's another way of extracting wealth, right? Because the way that the world has kind of reconfigured that that most industrial production is now outside of the West. And so that has been this opportunity for kind of developing countries, but it's also riddled them with the pollution of industrial production. And ultimately, you know, so much of the value that's being generated from production is being funneled back to to the West or the, the global North, so to speak. And so when you think about the waste trade, it's really just a continuation of that, that kind of system or that kind of structure, because it's taking more of the waste, the dirty byproducts of industrial production and putting them back in those communities. From talking with you right now, I had a couple realizations again as well. Um, It really just boils back down to plastic pollution is a social justice issue. Thank you so much for sharing so many valuable points, Adam. I guess maybe we could leave it on a note where For our listeners that are are listening to us right now, what's a message that you would like to leave? Would it be a message of hope, of action? Uh, Do you have any kind of pointers that you would like to leave as well for for people that just want to help make a difference? I'm one of them. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And I get it from my students often. You know, is there anything to be hopeful for? Um, How do we not wallow in despair. Crises precipitate change. That is historically true. Um, And so sometimes things have to get worse before they get better. Um, And we are in that kind of a moment where, you know, we can talk about climate change, you know, many of these environmental issues. Of course, plastic pollution is related to climate change. Um, The worse things get, the more people start to see um, what needs to be changed and the more urgent it feels. And, and so it's not, um, it's not a, the most pleasant way to think about change because it's not good that things are going to get worse, but it does, it does present an opportunity. Speaking to Yuyun and Adam gave me the big picture, but now let's zoom in on the details. We spoke to someone from our region here in Southeast Asia, Mageswari Sangaralingam, Research Officer at Consumers Association of Penang, Malaysia. Most of the northern countries have been sending their waste to Southeast Asian countries, in particular Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam and Indonesia. Um, and in 2018, Malaysia became the world's uh, top destination for these plastic waste exports. The waste that were coming in were mixed, contaminated, 
and uh, especially so because the challenge with plastic waste and scraps, most of it cannot be recycled yeah, because they are contaminated uh, with non-recyclable plastic or dirty waste or uh, plastic that is of low value and also too expensive to recycle. Yeah? Because, you know, in terms of the households, when we are throwing our, our waste into the recycling bin, most of them do not wash it. Yeah? So this is really impossible to clean. And even if you send it out to some other countries, these have to be sorted, separated, use a lot of water to clean. And uh, this is actually a labor intensive and very costly and uh, environmentally destructive. But may I ask, Magas, because when we use the term waste trade, it almost sounds like, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, a win-win. There's a trade being made. People are profiting, essentially. But with what you've said, you know, mixed waste, single-use plastics, a lot of these, like you said, cannot even be processed anymore. So is it even essentially still a proper kind of trading um, that going on there? Or is it essentially almost like um, it's just being sent somewhere else where we don't even know what's happening to it? Yes, that is what we have been saying. You know, uh, for those who are profiting from it, they, uh, they say this is waste trade, this is essential for the circular economy. Yeah, uh, So that is the keyword now that is being used, circular economy. Uh, but what we can see essentially is uh, actually dumping the waste yeah, to other countries. Um, so for instance, in Europe or in UK, you think you are doing your part in recycling, sorting out your waste and putting it into the recycling bins. But a lot of people did not know what was happening to their waste. Sometimes I guess it could be a form of greenwashing saying that it is going to be recycled, but essentially it's just being diverted somewhere else, essentially to another country just to be dumped. So why is the waste trade becoming a problem? And where does Malaysia stand with regards to waste imports? Is this something that you think can be fixed? Is there a proper way of doing it? Or what, what do you think the future is for waste trade? So in Malaysia, the impacts of uh, plastic waste trade uh, crude and illegal recycling, it really gained public attention after a community in Janjaro, Selangor, which is near uh, one of our major ports, they highlighted the dumping of plastic waste. Uh, this happened since early 2018. So the community found that there were some Chinese uh, in, uh, companies who have started illegal uh, recycling operations in uh, Malaysia. So when the community started taking action by highlighting their issue in the media, especially when it was broadcasted in foreign media, the Malaysian government took measures to curb this illegal recycling of plastic waste. However, at present, uh, the imports are still happening, but uh, with approved permits, uh, which is issued by the Malaysian government, is actually restricted to clean and uh, homogeneous waste, meaning it's like single type of plastics yeah, from industrial and post-consumer sources. So this was the action taken by the Malaysian government and communities are still vigilant and reporting about pollution and dumping of uh, plastic waste. Thank you so much, my guest, for making it crystal clear, you know, when it comes to dealing with our waste, it's not just us as individuals that have to deal with it at the source. We also have to look at the big picture of things. And when we look at the waste trade, it is not an excuse uh, to divert our own waste to another country. Companies and actually those who are benefiting from the plastic waste trade, they argue that it is necessary in a globalized circular economy. However, we, the civil society organizations, the community-based organizations and uh, the Break Free from Plastic movement, we believe that plastic waste trade, it disregards the proximity principle. 
that is you should take responsibility of your own waste in your own um, uh, countries yeah uh, so it evades the responsibility for ensuring uh, correct waste management and it's uh, actually unfit for a true and safe circular economy if you're shipping your waste out elsewhere and offloading the burden of your waste elsewhere it is actually not genuine uh, circular economy and to tie it all together we circle back to yuyun from earlier how can consumers and citizens be a part of the solution yes it's a, it's a bit tricky but it can be also easy <laughs> uh, at the same time um, the tricky part is that because uh, we as consumers uh, really depending on the regulations right so we can do our own things as well but um, in the big picture we need regulations that enable us to do the right things So we can separate our waste. We can go to a drop-off center. Uh, we can also, um, yeah, separate it from source at home. Um, but the thing is that the infrastructures for that have to be provided by government. So that is um, the most important thing: is that enabling system and the regulation from government. And the second, um, as individuals, we can decide what we are going to buy what we are going to use um because options are available now um there are lots of options now um although it's not mandated by government yet but in some cases some governments already banned uh, for instance the single use plastics wow we certainly covered so many things in just a few minutes let's count them off First and most important, the waste trade is a serious matter happening around the world and we need to be aware of it. So tell your bestie, tell your mother, tell your boss, tell anyone and share what you've learned. This needs to be common knowledge. Second, we are producing more waste than we can handle that countries are choosing not to deal with it and just ship it off in what they call the waste trade it's not really a trade if we're getting the short end of the stick is it next as stated by adam plastic will not magically disappear even if we put it in a bin we need to learn as consumers to say no to plastic And there are also urgent actions needed from global corporations and global brands that are being allowed to produce these products that essentially probably cannot even be recycled properly or are toxic or hazardous to human health, wildlife, and to the planet. Lastly, the global pact is necessary. It is crucial and vital, but it really is about systemic change. The international agreements can only provide protection if countries strengthen their regulations against plastics among other waste. We need to take action. Learn about your country's policies, support them, and find the bigwigs who can help you. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode, and if there's something that we haven't mentioned yet, please do let us know by commenting on our posts on Facebook and Instagram, and make sure to tag us at Break Free From Plastic. We are compiling all the actions and helpful solutions in a sweet episode, so watch out for that. 
To learn more on this war on plastics, you can also watch The Story of Plastic with a newly minted Emmy Award. The great news is it's still available to view for free on Discovery's YouTube channel until the end of November. The journey doesn't end there, though. You can then take action in your community or school after screening the film. Just head on over to www.breakfreefromplastic.org to learn more about the documentary and the ways you can take action. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Antoinette reminding you to pass this podcast on to your friends. We need to alert everyone from the communities that are impacted the most to the people we care about. Together, we need to move as one. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.